Chapter Five of Bill Bidden Trapper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bill Bidden Trapper by Edward Sylvester Ellis. Chapter Five Conversations and Plans. The Disappearance of the Canoe although singular in itself, had nothing supernatural about it. The shrubbery which overhung the water on either shore offered a secure and impenetrable hiding-place, and a few dexterous vigorous strokes of the paddles were all that was needed to send it beneath their shadows. That this had been done was plainly evident, yet why had it been done? What motive was there for concealment? and why if apprehensive of danger had the indians waited until they were in its vicinity these and numerous questions i asked myself as i carefully retraced my steps downstream again the whole proceeding was mysterious to me i had doubtless exposed myself while watching the canoe and its occupants and thus betrayed to an enemy our presence in their country what would result from this I could not conjecture, and determined to make everything known to the trapper. But then I felt somewhat fearful of this. He would doubtless be incensed at my imprudent thoughtlessness, which might compel him to leave a country offering such inducements to the trapper in fur trade. And I argued it was not certain that I had really been seen by the Indians in question. If they meditated hostility, Bidden would be warned soon enough for all purposes, and so I decided to keep my own secret for the present. But the question which occupied my thoughts, almost to the exclusion of everything else, was the identity of the female in the canoe. What could bring a white maiden to these wild regions of the Northwest? What meant her appearance in the canoe with two savage Indian warriors? What if she was the child which Bidden had referred to as being captured upon the night of the massacre? This thought intensified the interest I already felt in her. I believed she had seen me, and her silent look toward the shore had something more than curiosity in it. I imagined there was a mute, eloquent appeal in those dark eyes. Still ruminating upon this all-absorbing theme, I reached the tree, and, stooping upon my hands and knees, crawled within it. The movement had well-nigh cost me my life. As my head entered, I encountered the alarmed visages of Nat and Bidden, the latter with his knife drawn, and just preparing to spring upon me. "'You like to got rubbed out that time!' he exclaimed, replacing his weapon. What made you forget the sign? It must have been because it didn't occur to me, I laughed. I've had no occasion to use it before, and forgot it altogether. But I will remember it, you may be assured, in future. You'd better, for I was just going to shoot, too, added Nat, rising to his feet, and then seating himself again. You shoot, repeated Bidden contemptuously. Your shooter ain't loaded. I forgot that. I wonder if I couldn't load it, say, he indignantly demanded. Yes, in course, if the Reds waited for you. 
Nat made no reply to this, except that of instantly proceeding to load his piece. As it were near noon, the meal was prepared, this time from the beaver's body. The hair was singed off from a piece, which was then cooked in the usual manner. This, although very palatable, was not equal to the tail of the animal, the meat being more tough and oily. Shortly after, the trapper departed for the purpose of visiting his traps and setting new ones. When alone with Nat, I determined to impart to him my morning's experience. Nat, I have seen Indians, I remarked in a quiet tone. You hain't! he exclaimed, starting up from his bed of skins with such suddenness as to break the remains of his pipe. I have, and what is considerably more, they have seen me. I should think it was considerably more. Huh! What did you do to them? I didn't hear you shoot. Why didn't you tell me before? Why didn't you— Why, it seems to me you're very cool about it. There is no occasion for excitement at all. Just remain quiet, and I will tell you how it all happened. And thereupon I related the particulars of the incident already known to the reader. Nat's wonder, excitement, and apprehension were roused to the highest pitch at the narration. Springing to his feet, he pulled his flattened hat violently over his forehead, and striding about a moment, demanded, Why didn't you tell Bill? Like as not, he'll be shot and scalped before he gets back. I did not think it best, I returned. Bidden is not the man to walk into danger with his eyes shut, and if there is any cause for fear, he will discover it soon enough. Suppose he will. But ain't it terrible? Isn't what terrible? Why, that we're surrounded by Indians thirsting for our blood. We are not surrounded by Indians, Nat, I returned reprovingly. I know, but then they are all around us. It won't do to stick our heads out, except at night, and then, like as not, we'll be shot for our trouble. You are not afraid, I hope. Oh, no, not a bit. But then you know it's rather unpleasant to feel that those infernal Blackfeet, because this is the country of the Blackfeet engines, are all about you and waiting for a chance to shoot you from behind every bush. Nat, I commenced earnestly, you say you are not afraid of Indians and yet you show it in every word, look, and action. There's no excuse for this. I saw only two savages and a girl, evidently a captive. No words or actions were exchanged between us. They disappeared very suddenly, and were more probably frightened at my presence. I see nothing in this to excuse the excitement and terror you have exhibited. I wonder what that girl is I am afraid you will have to wonder a long time, as I can see no occasion for satisfying your curiosity. Is she good-looking? asked my companion seriously. Very. What makes you ask that question? I declare if I don't marry her, just to spite Almany and make Bill Hawkins mad, he exclaimed joyously. At this point I could restrain my mirth no longer, but— as I indulged it, I was considerably surprised to feel a slight twinge of jealousy at his words. This discovery was painful. I am afraid you will meet with several formidable obstacles before you can accomplish that. 
the most difficult of which will be to obtain an audience with the fair one herself. Don't suppose she'd be very anxious to see me, and I wouldn't care if I only had my pipe and jackknife to pass away time with. I think it would be as well not to mention this affair to Bidden. Why not? It can do no good. And he would be displeased at the thoughtlessness I have evidenced. I do not think there are savages enough in the vicinity to render us fearful of our safety. The canoe, I am disposed to believe, belongs to some tribe quite distant from here. But what are they here for? I can only conjecture. Bidden has never seen savages in this particular section, and these may be returning from some journey to their tribe. Perhaps so, and maybe not. These plagued engines sometimes live in one place and sometimes in another, you know, and it may be that a notion has just entered their heads to come and live in these parts. There is reason in what you say, but as I stated, if danger threatens, Bidden will undoubtedly detect its signs himself in time. I think he will, though I shall feel a little flustered every time he goes out. You remember when he was after the antelope, he walked right among the engines, without knowing it till it was too late to stop. He did, it's true. But how nicely he walked out again. I tell you, Nat, that fellow has nerve equal to any emergency. What man, when conscious of an overwhelming foe being concealed within a few feet of him, could have repressed every sign of trepidation or fear as he did, and bring the antelope through the same fearful ordeal, with the same coolness and deliberation? That was a clever thing, I allow. Bidden told me he felt a little nervous when he saw us start to come up to him, for if we had reached him, it would have been all up with us. He called out to us, though we did not hear him, that there were more animals in the grove, and our approach would frighten them. The impatient Indians were thus held at bay, in the hope of being offered a better opportunity to accomplish our ruin until it was too late to accomplish anything, save the loss of two or three of their number. Such a man, I repeat, will scent danger soon enough without the help of others. He will. And I hope he'll find out who that white girl is. Nat, do you remember the account Bidden gave some time ago of a horrible massacre upon the sandy island near where we encamped one night? I don't think there's much likelihood in my ever forgetting it. You will also recall his account of the capture of a small child by the savages. Now it has occurred to me that this is that child, grown to womanhood. I know it is, exclaimed Nat joyously. It is true there is much against it. It was a great distance from here, but as these savages wander hundreds of miles at times, it is not improbable upon that ground. Instances are only too common of persons spending their lives in captivity among these Indian tribes. She is a captive, beyond a doubt, and must long for restoration to her home and friends. If possible, I am bound to know more of her. So am I, exclaimed my excitable companion. As I said, we will say nothing of this to Bidden, until he discovers signs of the Indians himself. Tomorrow we will go forth together and spend the day in endeavoring to gain traces of the canoe and its inmates. And if anything is discovered which is alarming, we will impart it to him. This Nat agreed to. 
and shortly after we heard three raps upon the outside of the tree, the trapper's signal of his presence. A moment after he made his appearance. He was considerably elated at his prospect for a goodly quantity of furs, had set a number of traps, was sure of half a dozen next day, had seen no signs of Indians, and was convinced there were none in the vicinity. None of us passed out again that day, but remained, indulging in our pipes and conversation as usual, until a late hour. The next morning the trapper proposed that I should accompany him upon his daily round. I complied, while Nat remained behind. The day was as warm and pleasant as the preceding one, and the forest and stream as delightful. Bidden paddled slowly up the unrippled surface, and in a short time reached the first trap. It had not been disturbed. Still hopeful, he passed on to the second and third and all the others, but there were no signs of beaver in any. "'Shoot me? That's queer!' he exclaimed thoughtfully as he saw the last one. "'I don't understand it. I must get out and take a look around.' He sprang ashore and minutely examined the ground around. A few seconds sufficed. He looked up with a gleam of deep meaning and said, Here's the track of a thundering moccasin. The reds have found us out. He stepped into the canoe and, taking the paddle, moved it carefully back again. He touched at each trap on the way. The footprints of a stranger were visible at each. There's been a beaver taken out of that one, he remarked as the last one was reached. It's lucky for that sneaking coward that I didn't see him. He wouldn't disturbed any more gentlemen's traps. Are you sure it's an Indian that's been annoying you? Ho! Oh, don't you suppose I could tell a red's track from a grizzly's? But it might have been a white man, some hunter or trapper, I suggested. A white man wouldn't be mean enough to do such a thing, lest it were some of those Hudson Bay fellers. They try them tricks sometimes, but they get come up to. I catched a feller once from Fort Hall at mine, and the way I walked into him were a caution. But this are an engine's track, sure. Do you suspect there could be a number in the vicinity? If there were, I'd a heard of em afore. This is some varmint sneaking round here, and he's got to be rubbed out fore he makes more trouble. I fear that will be a difficult and dangerous job. Let me be for that. Shortly after, we reached our home, and running the canoe beneath the bushes, entered it. We were somewhat surprised to find Nat absent. He returned, however, in a short time, and I saw at once by his nervous, flustered manner that something unusual had occurred. Bidden questioned him rather closely, as he suspected something, but Nat evaded his inquiries and would not admit that he had seen anything to excite alarm or apprehension. "'I'm going out, and when I come back I'll tell you what's the matter with them traps,' said Bidden, seizing his rifle and departing. I waited until he was beyond hearing, and then, turning to my companion, asked, "'What is the matter with you, Nat?' "'Why?' he asked in turn with a start. "'Because you show plainly that something has occurred to alarm you.' He remained silent a moment, and then, seizing his hat, jerked it off his head, and threw it spitefully down. 
where he gazed at it a second and exclaimed, I'm sick of this. Sick of what? Why, of being in this fix. I don't understand you. Please explain what you mean. I should think you ought to know, but I do not. Why, this wood is full of engines. They're behind every tree and stump and in every bush, and you can hardly step without pitching over some painted heathen. I am afraid you are exaggerating, I answered, suppressing a smile which was struggling at the corners of my mouth. No, I ain't. I swear there are ten thousand engines just waiting outside to pounce upon us. You're talking nonsense, and you know it. Well, there's one engine, for I seen him. Come now, he affirmed, as if the matter was now settled beyond a question. Ah, that alters the case considerably. I shouldn't wonder at all if there is one or half-dozen savages in the forest. If you see one savage, haven't you a right to suppose there's a hundred more about, I should like to know? Not always, Nat. I have seen three myself, yet I do not believe there is another one in the neighborhood. But I have not heard the particulars of this affair of which you've been speaking. Please let me hear them. There isn't much to tell, but there is enough to make you do a heap of thinking. You see, after you had left, I took a notion that I must have a morning ramble, and I thought, too, there might be such a thing as you two running into danger and needing my help. I should like to know what you're laughing at. So, on the whole, there was no hesitation upon my part. Taking my rifle out, I was soon making my way as noiselessly as possible in a direction from the river. I hadn't gone more than a dozen yards before I commenced thinking about engines, and came nigh going back again. I wasn't afraid at all, you know, but then it appeared to me I might bring you and Bidden into trouble. However, I kept on. I had gone some distance further, when all of a sudden I heard a terrible whirr and rattle, and jumped clean off my feet. But it was only a big owl which I had stirred up. I was so provoked at the start he gave me, that I should have wrung his neck had I got my hands upon him. But I went on. Pretty soon I reached a little stream of water, and as I jumped across, what do you suppose I saw in the sand? I am sure I cannot tell. Nothing less than a big moccasin track, and what was more, it hadn't been made there a week before. I stood and looked at it a good while, cogitating some wonderful things. At last I stooped and went to measuring it. I was just going to rise when I heard a grunt right by me. I jumped up so quick to be ready, you know, that I floundered backward into the water, and I may be shot if there wasn't a big painted engine standing not ten feet off. He didn't say a word, but just stood and looked at me with them awful eyes of his. As soon as I could think, I raised my gun, took a quick aim, and pulled the trigger. But the infernal gun snapped. I pulled it again, but it wouldn't go, and I just happened to think the thing wasn't loaded. All this time the painted imp stood grinning at me, without saying a word except a kind of grunt. He had a big shining gun in one hand, and I was dreadful afraid he would shoot it. I told him not to stir but to stand still till I got mine loaded, and he waited. But somehow or other I suppose I was in such a hurry that things wouldn't go right. Instead of putting the powder in the gun barrel, I crammed it into my pocket and jammed the ramrod into my shoe. I told the engine to have patience, and I'd get it loaded in a minute. 
I got it fixed somehow at last and hauled it up to my shoulder when no engine was there. I looked behind, all about me and up into the trees, but he'd been spirited away somewhere. However, I made up my mind to shoot at the spot where he had stood, and I up and blazed away. That is, I blazed away without the gun going off. I believe he spirited that too. Let me examine it. Perhaps you made some blunder. Nope, I'm sure I didn't. I took the rifle with a smile of certainty that I should find something the matter with it. Sure enough, the muzzle was crammed with paper, and upon removing it, a pipe stem broken in pieces rolled out, while there was not a grain of powder in the barrel. I declare I forgot about the powder, exclaimed Nat, opening his eyes in wonder. But not about the bullet, I laughed, pointing to the fragments of his pipe. How'd that get there? he angrily asked. That's the question. I didn't put it there. Who did, then? I don't know, I declare. Nat picked up the fragments and examined them carefully. That's my pipe, sure. And I had it in my mouth, I remember, when I started out, and missed it coming back. I didn't put it in the gun, though. Let it pass, then. Did you see no more of your Indian friend? No, he knew enough to keep out of my way. I waited a long time for him, and at last started home again. I kept an eye on every suspicious object, but as I said, seen nothing. At this point I gave free vent to my pent-up mirth. Nat, much astonished, looked wonderingly at me, seemingly at a loss to understand the cause. I do not see what there is to laugh at, he remarked reprovingly. If it's a laughing matter to know that there are engines all about you, why, you must laugh. Your adventure with the Indian, Nat, and the singular load in your rifle, appears to me to be a funny matter, and I trust you will pardon me if— Didn't I tell you I didn't put it in there? It was the engine's work, and to this day Nat cannot be made to believe that he was instrumental in introducing the pipe into his gun. After a few more unimportant remarks, the conversation ceased. Nat's adventure began to appear to me in a different light from that in which I had viewed it at first. I doubted not but that he was perfectly honest and truthful in what he said. But why, when exposed to the will of the savage, did he escape unscathed? Why did the latter stand fearless and harmless before him? And what meant these strange signs, these footprints, which were becoming visible around us? Matters were assuming a puzzling form. We were being environed by Indians without any evidence of hostility upon their part. What meant it? Surely there was a meaning, too deep and hidden for us to divine as yet. Suddenly Nat spoke. Don't you remember the canoe? We were going to hunt for that today. Oh, how did I forget that? But had we not better wait till Bidden returns? No, let us go at once. Hark, what's that? I held my breath as the distant report of a rifle reached our ears. The next instant came a sound, faint and far away, yet clear and distinct. A horrid, unearthly sound, as the cry of a being in mortal agony. End of chapter 5